Hey everyone, uh, Lena here in Chicago. Want to say hi and welcome to this podcast of the Ministry of Living with Power. Every week we have a chance to get together and open God's Word and really kind of hear what the Lord has to say to us through His Word. And uh, my prayer always is that um, we get this uh, habit to think biblically about life. There's so much going on right now in the world. Uh, just in fact, today I'm recording this the day after the shooting in Charleston last week, and I, you're going to be listening to it. It'll be last week, but it happened yesterday, and. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my mind around all that's happening in our world right now. I, th- I know you guys feel the same. I talk to enough people that it, it's overwhelming. And, and the only thing that can give us stability in a time when it feels overwhelming is the Word of God. And it's the truth of His Word. And so, you know, there was a part of me that thought, man, let's take summer off. You know, who wants to focus and who wants to listen to podcasts? But I have to be honest with you. I cannot afford to take summer off from God's Word. I cannot. I, I have to discipline myself to think about the text and to think about what God is saying to us and to pursue Him. It is not something that happens accidentally. It's like working out. You know, you have to go through the steps of making a commitment to put your clothes on, to tie your shoelaces, and to get on the treadmill and run or go outside, whatever it is that you do. It's not going to happen magically. I think a lot of us who follow after Jesus want it to happen automatically. We think, well, we, if we have the desire for it, it'll just magically happen, but it doesn't. Uh, The way to grow in the faith, the way to grow closer to the Lord, the way to grow in the knowledge of who God is, is by opening His Word and studying it and reading it and and just chewing on it and spending time with the Lord through His Word. That is the number one way you will grow. There's, I mean, more and more I hear people coming up with these crazy ideas. Like I read an article not long ago about about, uh, an author who was talking about how she feels God's presence when she's out walking by the ocean and, 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 you know, all of those kind of touchy-feely things. And, and, and listen, I'm sure I could afford to be more touchy-feely than I currently am, but I hate to break it to people who are preaching experiential theology. I certainly have moments in my life when I feel God is closer to me than others, and maybe a walk in Tahiti by the ocean for the next three months will certainly you know elevate my level of spirituality, and I need to convince someone to fund that trip. But in the meantime, uh, let me assure you what God's Word teaches, and it is that you will only grow, and your faith will grow, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what he tells us in Romans. And I, I pray that you believe that with all of your hearts because if you are on any other program to grow in God's ways, you are missing it. That is the number one way. You will not grow into becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ who is obedient and who is enjoying fellowship with the Father and who is bearing fruit unless you abide. And the way to abide is in his word. That is why I'm committing to continue these podcasts throughout the summer. Now here's an awesome piece of news. I've already spent like two and a half minutes on this. But that's okay, because I am going to make shorter devotionals for the summer, I think. Every time I say that, they're like my famous last words. But my theme, or the, 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 you know, last summer, remember, we did Unshaken. This summer, I want to do a series called Great Expectations. And it is based on this idea that we come to God with certain expectations. Have you ever thought about it? Maybe you're single, and you expected that, man, if you came to God and asked Him, He'll provide a husband or a wife for you. If you're a man, a wife, and if you're a woman, a husband. Or maybe you expected that He'd give you kids if you got married. Or maybe He expected that He'd give you that promotion. Or you expected that, that you, if you gave tithing in the church regularly, that God would help you somehow be rich. And, and, and we come to Him with expectations that are not based on His Word. I promise you that God is faithful and what He tells us He will do. And so I want us to approach God with a sense of, what are true 
expectations that we can count on? What are things that we can bank on and take home and say, God, this is what you said. This is what we can expect. There are many of them. Let me assure you. And so today I want to start with the first. And it is the expectation that God is going to love you unconditionally. So expect God to love you unconditionally. That is number one. That is it. That is today's lesson. God will love you unconditionally. That doesn't mean he's always happy with you. That doesn't mean he's always like high-fiving you. And No, I mean, there is definitely, as all parents who have kids know, I have parents, I don't have kids, but, but I spent a lot of time, I, I just spent a lot of time with my nephew, and I'm telling you, I felt like I was a parent, and I did not want it after two days. I was like, Diana, my sister, I said, you need to like come over and intervene. You know, you need to come do a, a, you know, kind of one of those interventions. And it wasn't that bad. He's a great nephew. But you, you know what I'm talking about. All right. I still love my nephew, and I still love him. It didn't matter how misbehaved he was or, or didn't want to listen to what I wanted him to do. You know, it's all about control at the end of the day. But, but the fact is that I, I loved him then, and I love him now, and I will love him forever, and that's just a fact. And my love is imperfect. You see, God's love is perfect, and he loves us unconditionally. So where that is best reflected is in the story, I think, is in the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. I want to give you four thoughts about the prodigal son story. If you're not familiar with the prodigal son, let me read you a few verses. Uh, the gist of it is this. There was a man, Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Jesus is telling the story to the listeners. And uh, some of the listeners are, of course, his disciples, and others are the Pharisees. So he gathers them around and says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He wanted his inheritance. He says, uh, the father says, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So isn't it interesting? Famine brings us to a point of return. A lot of us hate famine, and yet it is so much a turning point for revival for so many people. Don't neglect that point. And if you are in a season of famine right now, be grateful. It is probably the biggest driving force to you to get on your knees and run after God. I've seen that happen in my life. And I hate famine, and yet I love it because it is when I drive towards the Lord. So here's this boy. It says the younger of the two, who you can already detect he's arrogant, he's demanding, I mean, man, the guy, I don't like him. You don't want to hang around him. I mean, he comes to his father who hasn't died and asks for his inheritance. Who does that? Well, then he gets in trouble, right? So it says in verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This guy had been living in a mansion. Now he's feeding pigs. It says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. And listen, that was a grace. That was a grace. Don't look at... Sometimes we're in a season where we don't feel like we have anything. Nobody's helping us out. That can be a grace because it might lead to this. It says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Let me read that again in case you missed it. (laughs) He says, And he arose, the boy arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, meaning he was already waiting for him. He saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the son. He hadn't even heard his spiel yet. That's the son that had demanded his narrative, basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. And the father is so 
loves them so much that he's waiting for him. It says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is awesome. Awesome. I love the story. I want to give you just four points here. Here's the first. And I'm going to read a few more in a bit in case you're wondering. God loves you. Point number one. God loves you even when you don't deserve it. Listen, the truth is none of us deserve it. We are all born sinners. The Bible tells us that we were born sinners, that there's no one good, no, not one. See, we naively think that we're born good, that babies are cute, they must not, you know, sin. But but their nature is sinful. That is what God's word teaches us. It started with Adam and Eve, and sin came into the world. And now we are born sinners, condemned, separate from God. And, and, and on top of it, not just are we born sinners, but we choose to sin. I mean, my nephew right now, the other one, is 18 months old. And the guy, I'm telling you, I love him. He's hilarious. Funniest kid I've met. But he intentionally chooses to sin. I see it in his eyes. It is our nature. But, but you might forgive an 18-month-old, but I think about my own life and how throughout the course of my life, even now, as a mature Christian, I know to do better. But I choose to sin over and over again. And the Spirit of God convicts me. And, and yet, despite my undeservedness, when I run home, my father is waiting for me. And how many times have you and I run back home and thought, man, I'm not sure God is going to accept me this time. And, and over and over again, he's standing with arms wide open. I cannot understand. I cannot fathom that kind of love. See, we look at the situation and we think, this man deserves to be punished. He deserves to be, but, you know, pay your dues. Like you've been gone for how many years? Now you come, instead of paying his dues, he gives him a robe and throws a party for him. And see, our nature is, is to be like, man, I, I've got to suffer now for a few years. We self-flagellate, we condemn ourselves, we do all of those rituals that make us feel better about coming back. Like it's more respectable. And yet, and yet there is nothing respectable about this kind of grace. It is disturbing. And it is unconditional love of God the Father towards us. I, I, I'm overwhelmed by it. So God loves us even when we don't deserve it. We never deserve it. Number two, God loves us even when we shouldn't expect it. And we don't expect it. This boy is coming home. He knows what he's done wrong. He's ashamed of what he's done wrong. He prepares a speech. He goes over it a million times in his head. He's not sure he's going to be accepted. He has no expectations that the Father is going to love him. That's the beauty of it. God is, God's love is so far beyond the expectation. We're talking about great expectations. This is mind-boggling. That is the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross to die for you and me. See, we're all doomed to sin. We were all born sinners, doomed to die. And yet we're told that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A free gift. You don't even have to work for it. It is not our works that saves us. It's an amazing idea. It is more than an idea. It is the truth. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Tell me that's not love. Tell me that is not love. Earlier in Ephesians 2 it says, After listing all of the sins of us, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins or trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only does he save us, he puts us in the heavenly places. I mean, you're like, really? Right now I'm going through a situation. I had a conversation with a friend and we're talking about about a situation. And I thought, well, if I go back there, you know, I'm going to have to pay my dues. And she was like, yeah, probably. And I thought, how unlike the way of Christ, isn't it? 
He just accepts us and loves us. And look, I'm not saying, I mean, there are times when people have to gain trust again and whatnot, but, but the love of the Father is unconditional when we don't deserve it, when we can't accept it. But, but listen, He loves us even when others don't accept it. So listen to what happened. Now, this little boy had a brother, remember? He wasn't a little boy, he was a young man. Well, he had an older brother. It says in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received them back safe and sound. Now the older brother says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His, so listen, you go, well, what happened? This is so much drama. This is so real. I mean, this is what happens now in our life. We look at other people and the grace that they're getting by God, the, the love that God pours over their life. They don't deserve it. They don't expect it. And yet God loves on them and honors them despite the fact that they don't deserve it. And he uses them and, and, and we're mad about it. If you've been in the church for a long time and you've walked obediently and you've done the things you're supposed to do, there's a sense in our heart that says, well, God, I gave you my best. How come you're not... You know, I did my part, God. Why aren't you doing your part? And so this is where this brother finds himself, which is a lot like many of us have found ourselves in our lives. You want to hear what God the Father, who's, this is the picture of God the Father. This is a parable that's telling the picture of God the Father. So, so the Father comes to the Son. Listen, in verse 28, it says, uh, let me read verse 28 and go into verse 29. It says, the Son, but he was angry and refused to go in. His Father came out and entreated him. Can you even imagine this old man coming out of the house, out of the party, to entreat the older brother who has no right to complain, but the older brother doesn't accept God's love for someone else. It's like, listen to the conversation. He answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Man, this just is so amazing. This is love. Even when others don't accept God's love in your life, they might look at your life and think it's unfair. God still pours his love over us. And and what's amazing is that he pours that same kind of unconditional love on the self-righteous older brother. Maybe you are stuck in a place like the older brother is and, and you feel like you've been treated unfairly. Listen, God never treats us unfairly. That is, the older brother had a wrong expectation. He was wrong about who God was. He was wrong about the kind of love. God's love isn't based on my merit. It's not based on my works. It's not based on my deservedness. You can't earn his love. He just gives it to us. But what's most amazing to me is when he says to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. When God, the Father, what's the Father saying to the Son? He's saying, you don't even see what you have. And so much of my life and energy is wasted. Coming to God and saying, God, why haven't you given me X, Y, Z? And you've given them X, Y, Z. I don't understand it. That doesn't seem fair. I can't accept it. And God reminds me, man, you have Jesus. He's been given to you. Your name is, I love that verse. I think it's in Matthew. I was just trying to find it as a, a multitasking here. But, oh, it's, it's when the disciples come back from preaching the gospel all over. They went two by two. And when they came back, they were so proud of the work that God had allowed them to do. And, and remember, they came and said to Jesus, like, look, listen to all that happened. Uh, you know, the demons you know, we're, um, here, hang on, I gotta find it. Uh, they, they went on and were like talking about all that God had done through them. And then, 
um, Jesus responds to them. I kind of read this. I can't. I don't know where that is. He says to them, "Don't rejoice that the demons bow to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." Now I can't find the exact verse, but I think you know what I'm talking about. He says, "Rejoice that your names are written in heaven." We lose the importance of what God's love has given us. He's lavished His love on us through Jesus Christ, and He's given us oneness with Him, and He's given us communion with Him, and He's given us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we don't need anything else. He is the fullness of the image of God. And he is ours. And so we can get so sidetracked with patent calves and coats and whatever else here in the world we value when all that we need to be happy and joyful is the presence of God in us and with us. So uh, the last point is this, and I'll finish. So the first was he loves us even when we don't deserve it. Second, he loves us even when we don't expect it. Thirdly, he loves us even when others don't accept it. And fourthly, he loves you. And only you can choose how to respond to it. You can respond by running back home and counting on the character of God to be waiting for you. You can run back home knowing you don't deserve it, knowing you shouldn't expect it, and still like know in your heart that God's love is so deep, so wide, so amazing that he'll be waiting for you with arms wide open. That is one response to the good news of the gospel. It's like reminds me of the words in Ephesians 3, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is awesome. So that is one response. The other response is what the older brother did, which is to have bitterness grow in your heart. It is to become unhappy when other people benefit from God's love. It is to become just angry over the fact that God is indeed love. And it is not trusting the fact that his love always does what's best. How are you going to respond to God's love today? Today you have a choice. You may be living with the pigs. You might need to repent of sin. You might need to make a decision to run home. I can't make that decision for you. I really can't. But you must be convinced of God's love in order to leave the pigsty and run home, knowing that there is mercy and forgiveness for those who ask for it. Or you might be a churchgoer, self-righteous, religious, and angry. And you too have a choice. Are you going to wait outside, look inside to the party, and wonder why God's love extends to people like that? Or are you going to come in and join the party? Man, come in and join the party. There's enough love that God has for every one of us. And it is only as we abide in that love. It is only as we rest in that love. That that, that verse in Ephesians 3, verse 20, with the result of that love, now we come to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Great expectations. You better believe it. Expect him to love you unconditionally. His love goes on and on and on. It never fails you. And so I'll see you next week, my friends. This is awesome. Email me if you have any questions. Lena, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org, livingwithpower.org. And uh, check the website. There's always great content and material for you. Uh, And uh, maybe in the next podcast, I'll remind you about the uh, project we're working on. I think I've run out of time for today. Have a great week. Okay, bye.